Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 7. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 7. And the theme I've chosen for this evening's message, a humble Christmas. Let us turn once again to the Lord in prayer. O great God of highest heaven, we come before you like the shepherds, acknowledging that you are the Lord and that Jesus Christ, your Son, is our regal, our sovereign, our Lord and our King. Jesus no longer in a manger. Jesus no, Jesus no longer on a donkey. Jesus no longer on a cross or in a tomb. But Jesus the exalted Lord over all. Equal to the Father. We bow before you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our God, and pray that you would now speak to us from your word by the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, where you see the ugliness of sin in your heart clearer than at other times. And in the past three weeks, it was such a time for me to see the ugliness of pride in my own heart and as I asked the Lord, please, will you show me what to preach for the Christmas carol service? And I was praying about a text, and in our family, worship also often. I asked my family to pray for me. God, give me a text. And this is the text I believe the Lord gave me, and the Lord showed me, I want to talk to you first, before you talk to the congregation. And the Lord showed me the pride, and it's been going on for some weeks, and the battle against pride. I've asked the elders to pray for me about this. And I know it's a hard thing to pray to the Lord, Lord, humble me. And the Lord showed me the very place you have to start, the first place you have to go, if you want to start with humility and crush pride, is you need to go to the manger. You need to go to the place where God becomes man, where God humbles himself, taking on the form of a servant, the form of a slave. So let me show this to you. Let us read Philippians 2 verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in the likeness of men. First of all, we're going to look at Paul's command, and that's in verse 5. Now, when we study the Bible, and very often... The Apostle Paul, when you read his letters, you find what is called the indicative and the imperative. Those are big words. All that it means is, Paul first gives you his teaching. 
And then after giving you his teaching and doctrine and explanation of truth, then he tells you, here's the imperative. This is what you should do about it. This is how you're going to practice it. This is how you're going to apply it and bring it to bear in your own life. We learn that in Veritas, right? In Veritas, what kind of letter is Philippians? Exhortation and application. Nee, leren en vermaning. Of vermaning en uitleg. So what is the imperative? What is Paul telling you? This is what you must do. Well, that's in verse 5. Have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus. So where does, where does unity start in a family? Where does unity start in a marriage? Where does unity start in a church? It begins with having the mind of Jesus Christ. Thinking like Jesus. Actually, the Greek word there for this mind, you will see in the Afrikaans, said it, hidigesintheid. So it's more than just what you think. The Greek word speaks of your thoughts, but also of very deep emotion, an attitude. So as the Afrikaans said, a jelle ingesteldheid, a jelle levens uitkijk, a whole world view. So in the context, Paul is speaking of, if you see verse 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So you must think right. You must feel right. And then you must start putting that into action to be humble and say, no, you first. Not what I want and not my desires and my wants and my will and my needs, yours first. Now, I'm telling you the truth. That goes against everything in the sinful nature. We don't want to have other people to be first. I want to be first. And that's so, uh, that is true from birth. From birth you see that. You can even see that with an eight-month-old baby. Now, I wish Nelouise were here. She would tell you that. You are Nelouise. So when you change the child's nappy and he doesn't want his nappy changed now, what does he do? <laughs> and he screams. Or whatever the kid wants, he wants it now. So you see that, that inborn selfishness and sinful desire. You see that with kids. Uh, who, who was, did you and I go to Diskin when we saw the kid throwing a tantrum? Because the mom bought the kid sweets, but he saw chocolate. And you know, sweets and chocolate's not the same thing. It was a girl. And she saw chocolate. And the mom just refused to buy the chocolate. And that kid threw such a tantrum in the shop. And then as they walked out, the kids just plopped down on the floor. I'm not moving. I want that chocolate. We saw that. <coughs> Excuse me. We saw that during our holiday just a few weeks ago. So the very last weekend of our holiday, we've got this thing we always do. It's a tradition where we visit our good friends in Paris. We stay there for the final weekend of the holiday. And so we went with them to a farm. And at the farm, there were some other youngsters and other middle-aged people and then the, the little ones. I don't even know how old are they, like a year and a half, two years old. So these two little ones, um, that's, uh, that's my dad and that's my dad. Now all the parents are sitting here and the two little ones playing in the sand with a little caterpillar truck and an excavator with a scope graph. So they're playing and this one sees that thing. Oh, that, that look, looks nice. And so the girl grabs it from the boy and, ah, this is mine, that's mine, it's mine. And they start fighting about this. Why? 
because I want it my way, and that's how it's going to be. And didn't you get the memo, the universe, who's at the center of it? Me. And at least once a year they get it right when it's my birthday party. Do, do adults throw tantrums? Oh, yes. Bigger tantrums than children. Tantrums about money, tantrums about promotion, tantrums about status, tantrums about anything and everything. So we, we intimidate other people with explosion of anger. We intimidate other people by bullying them. We intimidate other people by a showdown of power, machsvertoon, to show you, I'll show you. I'll show you who's stronger, you or me. And then if we, if we don't intimidate them, then we manipulate them with tears. <laughs> I want it my way. Crying about things and self-pity and sitting in the corner because I didn't get my way. And silent treatment, I won't talk to you for a week. And the sad thing is we do it even with God. We get angry at God if He doesn't do my will. If he didn't answer the prayers in the way I wanted it. So we get angry at the Lord and, and to show my anger, I'll show you God, I won't go to church for the next five months or the next ten years. Uh, or I will not read my Bible. Or I will not spend time in prayer, I won't talk to you. And I will not serve you any longer and I will sin at you. I will sin at you. I'll just give myself over to sin to show, let's see who wins this battle. And that really shows we want to be the center of attention. We see ourselves as the center of the universe and we think very often, God exists to serve me. I will serve God. I will serve God. But I'll do it only so He can give me better circumstances. I will serve the Lord only so He can make me happy and He can give me prosperity and He can give me a... At least I want to silence my conscience by serving. At least He can give me fire insurance to protect me from hell. So that's why I'll serve God. And to do so is really to make an idol of God. If you serve Him that way, as if He turns around and He has to serve you. And that is, that is what has been happening since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. You see, the whole picture is inverted. It's twisted. It's a beautiful photo with color, but now we've inverted it and now it's negative and now everything looks wrong on the picture because God made man in, in His image. But now we've turned it around. Now we want to make God in our image. God must now do things the way we want it. Acts 17 verse 28 and 29, it says, We are His offspring. We are created by Him. And verse 29 says, So if that is true, why do we make little idols and say, No, that is God. No, now we've created God in our image. But we don't make idols, do we? We don't make little statues and worship them. But don't we do it in our minds? When we think of God in a way that pleases us. To think, this is the way, as one guy did it, at a, at a, a, it was a group of students, they were busy doing their PhD, a doctorate in theology. And they had the one student go up, and he had to talk about God and who God is. And he started off and he said, you know, I like to think about God as... And he rambled on for 10 minutes saying things that aren't in the Bible. And then the lecturer got up and he said, Well, thanks, John, for telling us what you like to think God about. But let's, please will you tell us what the Bible says about who God is, what God says about Himself. It's very easy for us to create a God in our own image, a God we're comfortable with and happy with. And what Jesus does, and what Christmas is about, is that this God 
comes. He becomes a man and He comes to save us from what? Well, many things, but what is one of the great things He saves us of? We have met the enemy and He is us. He has come to save us from ourselves. And He has come to show us that this God is greater than the universe. This God is the creator of all things. And we are but creatures of dust. And people hate God for this. People hate this God. They want Him out of their personal lives. They want Him out of the education of their children, out of schools, out of government. We want to remove Him from society. And it's only when God intervenes by His almighty power that He changes the human heart and that people will come and see themselves as sinners before this God and bow before Him, not only at the manger, but at the cross, the crucified Savior. And bow not only at the cross, but before the throne of God and say, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we come in worship and we acknowledge Him as King and Lord while we humble ourselves like King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that? The king who ate grass like an ox, like a cow. God humbled him. And then he realized, you are the king of heaven. I am nothing. You are everything. Where we humble ourselves like the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, knocked off his horse, or maybe a donkey, or maybe by foot, we do not know. But he fell to the ground where he saw the glory of the risen Christ. And he acknowledged, I give up. I cannot fight you anymore. You are the risen Lord. And he worshipped at the feet of Jesus. And you know, such people, it is such people, people who realize that, who realize God is great and I am not, it is those people who will do verse 3 and 4. No, no, I don't have to go first. You can go first. I, I don't have to play with this toy. You can have this toy. And so now we humble and we put the interests of other people first. We put other people ahead of ourselves. We prefer them above ourselves. Because we know, as Ruth prayed in the prayer meeting, we saved by grace. We saved by grace. Alles net genade. Nee, het dan die bestie aangehaal. Alles net genade. Now, God does give us that attitude. He does give us that mind in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He gives it to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the pattern, the patruan, to show this is what humility looks like. But He's more than just a pattern. He's more than just an example. Jesus comes to save us from pride and to change us into humble people. To die on the cross because of our pride. You see, it's not enough for us to say, there's the example, the humble Jesus, follow the example. We do not want to. I do not want to follow that example. I want to be at the center. Don't tell me to follow that. Because, of, because our hearts are proud, because our hearts are selfish. And so what God needs to do is He needs to give us a new heart. A soft heart, a tender heart that wants to be humble like Jesus. And He does that by the new birth, by being born again. He changes you from the inside. 
And so you want to be humble and follow the example of Jesus. And the moment, the moment that happens, you believe in Jesus, you trust in Jesus, and God, the Father, takes the perfect life of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, and He puts all of that to your books. And you've got the record of Jesus on your books, the humble Savior, and all of your pride and sinfulness. That was put to His books and nailed to the cross. And He dealt with your sin and also with my sin and the sin of pride especially. And now as believers in the Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves every day. Every day we bow the knee. That's one of the things you show. That's the symbolism of kneeling in prayer. To say, I humble myself before you. You deny yourself, you take up your cross every day and you follow Jesus Christ. And then if you've been proud, you do what I've had to do many times in the past few weeks. I have to do this often, and I would almost think every day where I have to ask for forgiveness for selfishness and pride. And then we look at the example of Jesus. We look at it again. And we look at it again from this angle, and then from this angle. What a humble Savior, what a proud sinner. Oh, Spirit of God, change me to be like Jesus. And He changes you into the image of Jesus more and more so that you lay down pride and become more humble. Let me tell you this. Where that happens in a church, you'll have unity. If I say, no, you first. And you say, no, you first. And the same in a family. Where you see that in a family, you'll see unity. I've quoted this in the past three weeks quite often where John MacArthur says, you show me a divided church, I'll show you someone who's not getting what he wants. It's pride. Or a divided family or whatever. So, number two is Paul's teaching. That's weird, eh? That's strange. I did the application first, now the teaching. So let me give you the foundation. Where did we find this application? That's in verse 6 and 7. I already read that for us. Now Jesus, it says in verse 6, he who was in the form of God. Now that doesn't mean, oh, just Jesus just looked like God from the outside, but He's not really God. No, that word form in the Greek really means the outward expression, the uiterlijke vertoon van wat binnenkant is. The outward expression of what He is in the depth of His being. Who He really is. Jesus is God. Jesus and the Father are equal. It says so in verse 6 where it says he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. John 5 verse 18, the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. Why? They said, you are making yourself equal to God. And he was. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word became man. We read in verse 14, he became flesh. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So he's equal to the Father. It's, it's almost like, now I don't have a, a ring with some imprint on. And I'm a king. And I took this, take this uh, seal and I've got clay or wax. And I press this onto the clay to seal the letter. If I take away my hand, that exact image there is imprinted there. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature, of God's nature. Exactly who God is, that's who Jesus is. But, 
even though Jesus is God, he humbled himself. Jesus said, I don't want to grab this position of mine, my equality to the Father, and say, I don't want to let go. I don't want to go to earth, Father. I know you're sending me, and I agreed to go to die for sinners. I'm holding on for dear life. I'm not leaving heaven. He let it all go. That status, that position. And he came to the earth, humbled himself, and placed himself under his Father. For 33 years, John 14, verse 28, he could say, The Father is greater than I because he became man. Verse 7, he emptied himself. Now, when it says he emptied himself, I think, yeah, the 2020, any overtaling, he had himself That word emptied himself, it doesn't mean Jesus stopped being God. He didn't stop being God when he became man. He took on a human nature. But he kept being God. Doesn't it say in Matthew 1 when Jesus was born, his name shall be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. He kept on being God. Or in Colossians 1 verse 19 and 2 verse 9, the fullness of God was in Christ bodily. The fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. Some people think, oh, he emptied himself. That means there were certain Attributes of God. Sekere van sy karakter eienskap is nie die beste kees, woordkees, en nie, maar kom ons sê dit. So he stopped being everywhere, omnipresent. He stopped being omniscient, knowing everything. He stopped being all-powerful. That's not true either. What it means when it says he emptied himself, it means that Jesus chose, when I go to earth, and I'm there for 33 years, I will not use my power as God independently. I will not use that power to do miracles and help myself out of a crisis. So when Satan says to Jesus, you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, I will not do so. I will only do what my father tells me to do. That is what that means. Jesus would only do what his father tells him. And he would only do it, not by his power as God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, for instance, when Jesus cast out demons, by whose power did he do it? Well, he says, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, in Matthew 12. So that's what this means. When it says Jesus emptied himself, it means Jesus left his heavenly glory. He left his position in heaven, his status in heaven, as the King of kings, as the King of the universe. And he becomes man. This is a big thought. The eternal God becomes a baby. A helpless baby who needs his mom. Wow. So that's what this means. When it says he emptied himself, it means he humbles himself. That's Paul's whole point in this passage. Paul's point is be humble. Now he's telling you, look at that example. That's being humble. That is humility. This Jesus didn't think, I want to do what I want to do. Jesus thought, I want to please my Father. Jesus didn't think of himself. He goes to the cross thinking, I want to honor my Father. He goes to the cross thinking, I will put your needs before mine. 
I will die for your sin. I don't have to do this, but I want to do this. To save sinners. So that's exactly what Jesus does, and that's what Paul tells us. Follow that example. Be like this Jesus. Verse 3 to 5 that I already read to you earlier on. This is a big step. Imagine that. God becoming man. And if, as if that is not great enough, he goes even further because that's, that is infinite. Infinite is oneindig. The step from going from being God to becoming man. That's massive. But then he could have become a king if he wanted to. To say, I will be born in a palace. I will be a royalty. I will be king. I will be the emperor of Rome. Or wherever. But he doesn't. He comes down. He comes down. He comes down. And you read in verse 7, taking the form of a servant, a sloth, a slave. So where's Jesus born? New York. Where's Jesus born? Where's Bethlehem? What's Bethlehem? Not really a great town. It's just little Bethlehem. It says in Micah 5, little place. And then, what about Jesus' parents? Who are they? Well, his biological mother is Mary and Joseph is a stepfather because he doesn't have a biological father. He's born of a virgin. But who's Joseph and Mary? Mary's just this nobody, this probably teenage girl. Just Mary. And then when they have to bring a sacrifice, because that's what you have to do when a baby is born according to Leviticus 12, what do they bring? A lamb? Do they bring a calf, a bull, a goat? Two pigeons. Doves, Deva, Turtle Deva. Why? Because Leviticus said if you are poor and you can't afford a lamb, you can bring two pigeons. That's all they have. They're poor. And then we, where does Jesus grow up? Santa. Oh, can anything good come from Nazareth? like this town with a reputation John chapter 1 at the end can anything good come from Nazareth he shall be called the Nazarene he's nothing, he's nobody and when he's born oh there's the baby in a manger he's born that animals eat out of that cows eat out of that camels, donkeys so Jesus is laid in a manger. He's nobody. And then he's poor. He even grows up poor. Uh, one, one disciple wants to follow Jesus. He says, I'll follow you. Jesus says, really? So where are you going to stay? I don't have a house. Even a, a fox, a jackal, he's got a hole in the ground. The Or birds, they have nests. The son of man, me. I have nowhere to lay my head. I'm not welcome in this world. There wasn't even place for me in the hotel. I had to lie in a manger where the animals are. So he's poor. And then he has to borrow everything. He doesn't even carry a wallet. Because when they say, must you pay tax, he doesn't have a coin. He says, has someone got a coin here? And then when, when temple tax is paid, Peter has to go and catch a fish and 
get the coin from the fish's mouth to pay his tax and Jesus' temple tax. And then when, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, does he have his own donkey? No. Borrows a donkey from someone. When they have uh, the bread and the wine, the Lord's Supper, they are saying, does Jesus have his own house? No. It's borrowed. The upper room. And then he dies. What does Jesus have when he dies? Does he have a big bank account? Jesus doesn't even have clothes on his body when he dies. Nothing. At least when you put into the coffin, you've got clothes. But he has nothing. And then he's buried where? A borrowed tomb. A rich man's tomb. It's not his own. Jesus has nothing. He's a poor man. Humble, humble. And then Jesus, we remember Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Who washes feet in the Bible? Slaves. I have news for you, not slaves. A Jewish slave would not wash your feet. The worst slave, a Gentile slave, they unclean, they can wash your feet. So Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He humbles himself. He doesn't come into Jerusalem on a white horse with a crown and a sword. He comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Humble is your king. Riding on a donkey, said the prophecy. And then finally, we know when Jesus dies, he doesn't die in his sleep. He doesn't die in some wonderful circumstances. He dies like a criminal, like a robber, like a murderer. He's crucified. The humble Jesus, verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I just see this picture. Here is God on the throne, the eternal one, eternally existing with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And, and what I just explained to you, it's like it comes down and down and down and down and down to the lowest low, to the lowest low. Humbles himself until he's at that point where he is nothing. Nothing in the eyes of man. He who is equal to God, verse 6, becomes equal to man, verse 7. If Jesus is equal to man, does that mean he became a sinner? Jesus did not have a sinful nature. He's born as the perfect one. The Holy One, Hebrews 7 verse 26. He committed no sin, says 1 Peter 2 verse 22. But did Jesus experience the effect of sin? Yes. He did not sin. But did He have pain? Did Jesus cry? Did Jesus get thirsty? Did Jesus get hungry? Was Jesus exhausted and weary? Did Jesus die? So he experiences everything you and I experience, though he did not sin. Augustine said, man's maker was made man, so that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. The bread of life became hungry, the fountain thirsted, the light slept. The way, the way, the truth, the way became tired on his journey. The truth was accused by false witnesses. The teacher was beaten with whips. The foundation was hung on a piece of wood. 
The strength became weak. The healer was wounded. The life died. Did anyone force Jesus to humble himself? He chose that willingly. He did it out of love. You know, Jesus could have decided, I leave all of you. You, my enemies, you sinners against me, I created you and you spit in my face. He could have left us to ourselves, left us in our sin. He could have wiped us off the planet and sat in his heavenly kingdom to enjoy his glory. The fact that Jesus humbled himself shows the great love of our God. The great love of our Savior, who would become a man and subject himself, onerwerp himself, to the cruelest and harshest treatment, to people who hate him, to people who kill him, to people who bring upon him the worst of emotional pain and physical pain, and not even to mention the worst of spiritual pain when the Father turns his face away. And brings all the sin of the world upon His Son. And all the curse of sin upon His Son for us. That is love. So what should be your and my great response to Christmas? Our great response should be the response of these men. And the response of the shepherds, the wise men and the shepherds, to fall down before the Son of God in worship, to love Him, to adore Him, to commit yourself to Him tonight. Have you committed yourself to Christ? Have you given you all, your all, your life? And say, I'm yours. And to obey the Saviour. And to adore the Son of God, the baby in the manger, the Savior on the cross, the King on the throne. And humble yourself before Him. I close with this quote by Thomas Watson. That man should be made in the image of God, that is wonderful. But that God should be made in the image of man. That is even a greater wonder. That the Ancient of Days should be born. That he who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle, in the manger. That he who rules the stars should drink from his mother's breast. That a virgin should conceive. That Christ should be made of a woman made of that woman whom he himself created. That the branch should bear the vine. That the mother should be younger than her baby. That the child in the womb is greater than the mother. That human nature should not be God, yet one with God. This is not only wonderful, this is a miracle. <laughs>
our Father, receive our praise. Lord Jesus Christ, receive our wonder, our awe, and our worship. Holy Spirit, receive our adoration and our thanksgiving. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, receive our lives and our hearts as an offering, filthy though we are, sinners though we are, cleanse us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And risen Lord Jesus Christ, we willingly bow the knee before you, our King. O come, let us adore you, Christ the Lord. Amen.